Hi, this is Eli Nelson, and this is the My City Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. It is our prayer that this message will awaken you to come alive in the things of Christ. Enjoy the message. David, we talked about him a little bit last week, and uh, excited to share with him, uh, share about a little bit about him today. Last week, we talked about how he was fleeing from, from Saul, and he had to get back to, where do you have to go? Back to where? Judah. He had to go back to Judah. Judah means praise, and sometimes when you find yourself in a dark place, when you find yourself in a cave, you got to get back to praise. In your life, you will be given the opportunity to either put on praise or to put it off. Bible says in Isaiah that he will give you a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. He will give it to you, but you got to put it on. you got to be able to make the choice, right? Now we continue in David's life. He goes back to Judah, and then he's on his way running from Saul again. And we actually, strangely enough, find him back in a cave, 1 Samuel chapter 24. He, he knows that God wants him to be king. He doesn't know, quite know how God is going to bring it. About And so 1 Samuel chapter 24, we're reading on the NIV today, it says, After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took him, took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. You know, when you got to go, you got to go, right? <laughs> all right. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands to deal with you as you, to deal with as you wish. Keep in mind, God never said that to David. It was people interpreting God's will for David's life. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, and this is the big verse that I want to hit on today, David was conscious stricken. The Hebrew word for that isn't really, uh, they don't really have a word. They, it more of describe a, a, a conglomerate of words is he felt ill in his heart. Like it was, it was, he just felt ill in his, in his heart. He was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. The verse goes on a little bit further, but I really want to highlight that idea of conscience stricken. Can I tell you, in your life, in your life, you will have opportunities to compromise your character in an effort to receive or achieve your calling. And what we see with David is that he took a step that wasn't necessarily wrong, but it was actually something that was outside of the will of God's will, God's will for his life. And in your life, you will have opportunities to compromise your character. You'll have an opportunity to compromise your conscience. And I want to talk about that idea within conscience. When it comes to finding the will of God for your life and finding out, well, does God want me to do this or does God not want me to do this? One of our greatest, um, uh, one of our greatest I don't know how to put it, like, tools we can use in our life. Thank you. My lovely wife said that. Our, our, one of the greatest tools we can have is our conscience. And our conscience can, can lead us in the ways of God. It can also lead us away from the ways of God. That's why it's important that our conscience is transformed 
Our conscience is transformed through the reading of the word of God. Our minds are transformed. Romans 12 talks about that, renewing our minds daily to be transformed into the image of God. And so if, if your minds aren't transformed to seek what pleases God, can I tell you, you will always find a way to do what you want. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you're taking notes today, write this down. Is there a loophole? Is there a loophole? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. Pray that you speak through your servant. God, we thank you. God, that uh, you speak. It's just a question of if we're listening. So right now, we intune our hearts to hear you. We intune our minds to receive from you. God, we're hungry for you. We're expecting for you to speak to us. And right now, if you're hungry for the word of God, would you open up your hands and say these words after me? Say, Lord, speak to me. I'm listening. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Come on, you can be seated. Let's put our hands together for the word of God today. It's going to be a great day. Is there a, a loophole And when it comes to your purpose? Can I tell you that you're always given a choice? You're always given a choice of, of, of pursuing God's purpose and, and, and stepping away and delaying God's purpose in your life. If, if I need to get another mic, I can certainly, it, it's reverberating just a little bit back and forth. I don't know if it's a mic or if it's maybe my mouth is just too close to the mic. But you're always given a choice to progress to God's purpose for your life. And what we find with David is David was given the opportunity to actually kill Saul at that moment. Now, he didn't necessarily kill Saul, but he didn't actually do what God had wanted him to do. And that was ultimately to trust God and God's timing, to not take things into your own hands. And, and the thing about David is after he did this, what was good about it is that he was conscience stricken. It's good for you when you step out of the will of God to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in that way. That I did something that was displeasing to the Lord, and since I did something that was displeasing to the Lord, my conscience kind of rang a little, it had a little red flag in there, like a good red flag, a little stoplight. Hey, you're doing something that is actually against the will of the Lord. And this idea of conscience, conscience isn't necessarily uh, something that is always pursuing the will of God. It's more of just a moral compass that we have. A conscience is, is, we read in the Greek, is actually a word known as uh, sunidasis. Sunidasis is a, it's a type of, it's a type of phrase, it's a type of word that really just describes a moral awareness or a moral consciousness. And when the Bible talks about a conscience, it says that you can have a strong one or you can have a weak one. And it's our responsibility as Christians to develop our conscience to be a strong one. To be one that rightly perceives the will of God. Not the will of this world. Not even our own will, but really the will of God. Do you know what grieves God's heart? And do, you want to, do you know what makes God happy? Do you know what makes God sad? That's what it means to walk with God. Can I tell you? Life with God is less about doing what God asks you and more about doing it with God. Right? Like, it's not just a set of rules and regulations on I got to do this to please God, but you're actually coming alongside him, walking with him in this vast garden we call earth. That's what it means to walk and be with Christ. The last thing I want to do is get to heaven and say, God, I did all these things for you. And he says, yeah, but we didn't really walk together. I didn't really know you. and You didn't really know me. Like, to know what makes God happy, to know what makes God sad, it's our responsibility to align our conscience with the word of God so that we know what pleases God. We know this 1 Corinthians 8, 7. Paul, the apostle, is talking about this type of, of meat that were sacrificed to idols. And some Christians had a tough time eating this meat uh, because the Bible says their conscience was weak. They didn't quite understand that nothing is clean or unclean just because it's sacrificed to an idol. And so some had this knowledge that they shouldn't partake in it. And some had this knowledge that it was okay. 
And in verse 7, he says, not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are so, still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, that's what I want to highlight there, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God, nor are we worse if we do not eat, nor are we better if we do. So I want to talk about that idea of weak conscience, strong con conscience. It's this moral awareness and it's one way to define your conscience is what you believe to be right or wrong. The, this definition also implies that the conscience produces different results for people based on different moral standards. Your conscience can change, therefore. And your conscience functions as a guide, monitor, witness, and judge. But just because the moral standard changes doesn't mean that the word of God changes. So a lot of us, our conscience is based off of the environment that we live in. We grew up in the United States. There's certain things that are wrong, certain things are right. Just by the level of our, our, our upbringing, our conscience is not called to be shaped by culture. Our conscience is called to be shaped by Christ. And that happens through the reading of the Word of God. I'm not up here just playing games, just trying to preach some little fancy message just to kind of give you a little. I really want to try to inspire you to get into the Word of God. It's changed my life, and I believe it will change yours also. When you dive in, that's why we hand out free Bibles. We don't hand out free Bibles, and it doesn't just say, this book contains hope because we wanted to find something to put on the front. It's because it's transformed my life, and I believe that will also transform your life. How many have been shaped by the Word of God? Put your hands together thanking God for the Word of God. Like, get in to the Word of the Lord. Don't just rely on a, a preacher or a message or a song. Learn to hear from the Holy Spirit. How do you hear the voice of God? Read what he's already said. A lot of people want to go around and they want to be able to receive from the Lord and they haven't even read what he's already said. You're probably not even hearing the Holy Spirit. You're probably hearing a demon. It's very real. Like everything that the Holy Spirit says will line up with the word of God. It will. It has to. God is not a man that he should not, should lie. It will line up. So if you ever get a word from any kind of spirit, check, make sure it lines up with the word of God. So it's this, this, this awareness that can be shaped by culture, but it can also be shaped by Christ. That's why it's important that we're diving into the Word of God. First Timothy 1.18, Paul continues in this idea of a conscience through, through another passage. He's talking to Timothy. Timothy is his, his son in Christ. He says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. So now I want you to remove the idea that it was written to Timothy, which is true. It was written to Timothy, and the Bible was not written to you. We know that. We talked about that last week. But it was written for you. So the Holy Spirit, knowing that you were reading it today, knowing what you are experiencing today, the Holy Spirit can still speak to you, even though it was spoken in Logos word to them 2,000 years ago, it can be spoken in Rhema, year, Rhema word to you today. So to be able to read the word, say, Holy Spirit, this every time I open it up, almost every time, I say, God, speak to me. Holy Spirit, reveal to me Christ as I'm reading your word. And he will. So he, he says, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. Say, fight the battle well. Holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected. What have they rejected? Faith and a good conscience. Okay? And so I've suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. So you can have faith, but if you don't have a good conscience, if you have a seared conscience, eventually you'll shipwreck your faith. A good conscience can keep you grounded and on the right path, and rejecting a good conscience can destroy your faith. I've been teaching for the last moment 
Now I want to be able to put all this stuff together and say, how does it really apply to your life? We look at David. David's in this cave, and he cuts part of Saul's robe. And his conscience is stricken because he knows that if he is going to be king, he cannot go about it like this. Now let me ask you this question. What good is it to get everything you ever wanted but lose the very person that God has called you to be? David is presented with the opportunity to kill Saul and assume the throne. God placed Saul right in David's hands, but David was not after the throne. David was not after to be king. David was not after any of those. What do we know about David? David was a man after what? God's own heart. That's why his conscience was able to be stricken, because he knew this did not please the Lord. He wasn't about his own vain ambition, his own selfish ambition, what he wanted to do. He was after pleasing his heavenly Father. Can I tell you, as a Christian, it is our command not just to do things for God, but to be pleasing to him by doing things with him. That means that we don't violate things that hurt his heart. It's not just about a list of rules. I don't not have an affair on my wife because it's against the rule. It's because I love her. I don't disobey. It's because I love God. David was a man after God's own heart. And many of us think, well, you know, if, if I, I, I'm against the opposition. Like, I won't ever do anything that doesn't displease God. When it comes to actually disobeying God and, and the test of our character, can I tell you, the test of your character and your conscience is not always when you are presented with opposition. It's actually when you're presented with opportunity. It, the test really comes when opportunity comes your way to give what would look like advancement. God told David that he would be king. But he did not tell him how he would be king. An opportunity that causes you to compromise your godly character may give the appearance of progression. But I can tell you, it will be one without his presence. It may give the appearance of progression in life. But again, our goal is not advancement. Our goal is relationship. He could have been king. He could have been in the palace but he wouldn't have had the presence of God. What good is it to get everything you've ever wanted but to sacrifice something that money cannot buy? Your character. Can I tell you that you can get the result you want, but how you get it is just as, if not more, important. Every parent in here knows what I'm talking about. You can get your kids to obey you, but at what cost? What's the goal? Is the goal just outcome? To get them to stop crying? Or to stop yelling? Because you can get in a result based off of fear. But what do you really want? I want one based off of love. I don't want result-based parenting based off of fear. I want it based off of love. And I tell you, the, our relationship with God is very similar. Right? I'm not serving God to get what I want. I'm serving him to be with him. It's, it's presence-driven. It's relationship-driven more than outcome I'm not serving God for what I can get. Some of us have been told, hey, you serve Jesus and everything's going to work out for you. I don't necessarily see that fully aligning with Scripture. You know what I see aligning with Scripture? It says endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, right? You'll have trouble today, but take heart for I've overcome the world. Like that's what it really means to follow Christ. Some of us have been led to believe that following Jesus 
was giving us a, a, a golden parachute on an airplane saying, hey, this is going to make your plane ride so much better. When I think the correct perspective to look at Christianity would be like, hey, at any moment this plane could break apart and you'll have this parachute because you never know when your life's going to end. That's true. But God, I believe God wants to take you a step further. That, that may be a doorway. Hey, I don't know when I'm going to die, so I'm going to accept Jesus to forgive me for my sins. I think that is a gateway, but I think God wants to take it a step further. It's not necessarily about escaping hell as much as it is about being with our Father. Can I tell you, you were made in the image of God for God, to be with God. That is what he created you for. Thank God that he sent Jesus to be able to cover our sins so that we could be reunited with him. See, Jesus didn't die on a cross just to forgive us our sins because we had screwed up again. He died on the cross to give us full access to the Lord that our righteousness, we'd be able to borrow his and that we couldn't even screw it up because y'all know if we could, we would. That's why Jesus had to die. That's why he had to say, I exchange your life for mine. I will take your punishment indefinitely so that you can have my privilege indefinitely. That's why Jesus died, to restore us with the Father. It's about presence. It's about walking with God. That's why it's important that we don't violate things that hurt God. David was conscience stricken. So we see the season of the cave for David was a season of preparation. And he would forego that season by trying to promote himself rather than letting God do it for him. He was looking, he was not looking for a loophole to do what he thought was best. He had God in mind, God's heart in mind. Why? Because in Psalm 57, we talked a little bit about last week about David writing psalms while he was in this cave. Well, many scholars believe this was another psalm that he wrote in this cave at this time. He says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He knew that if he was going to get to the throne, which, by the way, David didn't want to get to the throne. God told him he was going to be king. All right? That's the difference between selfish ambition and, like, God, you, you said this. Like, God, you're going to fulfill this purpose for me. So if you said it, guess what? God's going to make it happen. And I can't help but believe that there's a lot of people that are trusting in our own ability to get things done. They're going around listening to advice from others. And although that may be good, and we may be able to get advice from culture, you got to be careful who you're getting advice from. David, if he would have listened to his friends at that moment, he would have compromised his character. They're saying, come on, God gave you this opportunity. You can get rid of Saul right now, and you will be king. But David knew, what good is it to get the palace if I forfeit the presence? See, I believe that this church, that no matter what opportunities come their way, we will always stay grounded in God's presence and his purpose. I believe that as we value that, walking with God, that it doesn't matter where we're at. He's with us. That's our priority. That's our prerogative. I don't care if there's other opportunities that are presented to you. I don't care if it means more money. If it causes you to compromise your character or the things that matter most, your family or your faith, it is not worth it. What good is it, the Bible says, to get the whole world, yet you lose your soul? That soul, that part of you, that you know if you're following in right alignment with the Lord, we got to treasure that. We actually have to guard it. What good is it to get the palace, everything you ever wanted, but you stole it? Why not wait for God to give it to you? Because if you stole it, guess what? If you stole it, someone else can steal it from you. But what if God gave it to you? Can I tell you that if God gave it to you, 
Even if an Absalom, which was one of his sons, rises up and tries to take the kingship from you, David said this, when his son rose up to try to take the kingship, he's like, you know what? If God's done with me, God's done with me. But if he's not done with me, no power in hell, not even the devil himself, can take it from me. See, I want God's blessing that he gives me. Not one that I achieve, but really one that I receive. And I believe in your life, if you compromise your character, if you compromise your conscience in an effort to achieve your calling, you will get your calling, but you will not get his presence. Okay, so let's continue in this. At 1 Timothy 4.1, Paul continues in this idea of a, of a conscience. He says, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith in following deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. And I can't help but think that there's, there's situations we're facing in life, even right now, that we may be trying to look at, a, a, he says, in later times, I believe that's today, that they're saying, hey, people are going to compromise this, they're going to follow uh, doctrines taught by demons, and their consciousnesses, though, have been seared. What does that mean? They, have, they stopped feeling. They stopped feeling what broke God's heart. They stopped feeling what made God. And they relegated their relationship to a set of rules and laws. They relegated their relationship with God to, well, I know what's going to please God because this is what he told me to do. But you're not actually following his heart. He was saying this in regards to eating certain meats. They say this just a few verses further. about They're permitting people not to marry. They say, you can't get married if you're really going to follow God. He said, that was a doctrine taught by a demon. They were following a spirit, thinking they were following God, but they weren't. Well, you can't eat certain foods. God says, nothing is, you can't eat, not eat anything. You can eat whatever you want. That's, that's done. That's old covenant. You can eat all the bacon you want. And all the men in here said, amen. You know it might not be smart to have a whole diet based off of bacon. Why? Because don't, pigs don't have sweat glands. It's not healthy. The Bible said to abstain from certain foods like, like, like lobster and crab. And they're like, oh, no. Well, they're the garbage dump of the sea. They eat all the junk that falls on the ground. Bible, like, he's like, hey, it might not be wise to eat all this stuff, but it doesn't make you more holy. It makes you more holy by faith. And people were identifying their relationship with God by what they abstained from. I don't know about you, but we see this in today's age, especially in Christianity. If you are a real Christian, you wouldn't drink Starbucks. I've seen it. If you're a real Christian, you wouldn't drink Coca-Cola. Well, that may be good for you. And I'm saying, like, you've got to follow your conscience. If, if your conscience is stricken... You're doing it for the glory of God. The Bible talks about in Romans, like, if they abstain for the glory of God, or if they eat for the glory of God, let it be so. Well, I don't celebrate Christmas because it's a demonic holiday. Well, I could have the conversation. I would say you're wrong, but if you abstain from Christmas for the glory of God, then do it for the glory of God. If you celebrate for the glory of God, then celebrate for the glory of God. One person says this day is more special. The other person says it's not. Every day is the same. They do it for the glory of God. Let it be so. Are we going around judging one another? If you were really saved, you would not do this. If you were really saved, you would do this. Well, hold on. If it is not directly contrary to the word of God, then we can't build a foundation off of that. 
So if we're going around telling other people, yeah, if you're really saved, you get that Starbucks cup out of here because they give to, you know, pro-choice. And don't shop at Target. I don't shop at Target because it's Target. But <laughs> I'm not going to go around and tell people, don't shop at Target. Because I don't think that's where the battle's won. Because I don't want people to just go around not shopping at Target. I want people following Christ. I'm not going to go around and say, don't vote Democrat. I'm not going to go around and say, don't vote Republican. I'm not going to go around and say, vote this way. I'm going to say, follow Christ. Follow the Holy Spirit. Guys, the Holy Spirit is so good at doing his job. That's convicting the world of sin. Let him transform your conscience. Let him transform your desire. Your desire, your desire is to know him. Not to do things for him, but to know him. And as you know him, you know what breaks his heart. You know what brings him joy. He says that they, were, they had a seared conscience. So just real quick as we, as we start to wind down here. How do you know if you have a, a, a good conscience, if you can trust it, or if you can't and you've seared it? Well, you may be in one of two places that you live strictly by rule and you're not open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We kind of described that a little bit. I'm just living based off of rules. Or maybe you strictly follow feeling in complete disregard for God's word. Can I tell you that if you need everything to be spelled out to you in the Bible, you are not following Christ. You're following yourself. And you are always going to find a loophole to do what you want to do. If you have to ask, is this okay? Because deep down, you want to do it, you probably shouldn't do it. Rather than ask, can I do this? Let's just change our phrase and say, how can I be more like Christ? And I understand the sincerity of the question because it's grounded in, for the most part, I don't want to do anything that would break God's heart. Let's not see how close to the line we can get. Let's see how we can be more like Christ. Because to die to ourselves, to be more like Christ, that's what we're called to do. Rather than ask how, can I, how, how, far, how far is too far when it comes to like sex, like I mean, let's be real. This is the day we're living in. How much of a lie is too much of a lie, right? How much money can I withhold in payment? Like, my employees never really know that I didn't give them the bonus that I, did, I wanted to give them, but now I just kind of want to. Well, you know, if it violates your conscience, you're probably hurting God's heart. And this is another question I want to answer. Like, well, I don't feel bad when I do it is not an excuse. The Bible doesn't say I can't, so... Well, the Bible doesn't say that David couldn't kill Saul. Now, technically, murder was wrong, but it would have been in self-defense because Saul was trying to kill David. But if you're saying that, asking the question, the Bible doesn't say I can't, then you probably have a seared conscience. What should you do when you do something that you know is wrong and you want to resolve it with God, but for some reason you don't feel guilty about it? I know what I did was wrong, but I don't feel bad about it. Well, Satan would love for you to buy into one of the world's biggest lies is where feelings equal truth. Just because it feels right doesn't mean it is. You may have heard the saying, sin feels awful, but I think this is misleading. In reality, sin usually feels really good and fun, but that doesn't mean we won't face consequences, natural or spiritual ones, eventually. The Bible doesn't say weed is bad, right? Like, well, it doesn't. But what do you run into? What are you running for? What are you running from? Right? If you need it to be spelled out, you're just trying to find out what you can do and what you can't. That's not our goal. Right? There's a, 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 a 
in science talks about a person that when they when they start to experience extreme hypothermia, uh, before they freeze to death, it's, uh, there's a there's a status known as paradoxical undressing occurs. That many people who have died from hypothermia have actually taken off their clothes in their final moment, thinking they are too hot. And I think a similar thing happens when we sin. The deeper we get into that particular sin, the less we feel like it's hurting us. We numb out. We shear our conscience. We numb out so much that we think that everything is okay. And so we continue in it for so long that we no longer feel cold. And I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God, but I do know that if you're continuing in things that are contrary to the word of God, you may not feel like it's hurting you, but it is hurting your relationship with him. He always feels it. Unfortunately, we always won't. And the more we do, though, what we know is wrong, even if it feels wonderful, the farther we get from where God wants us to be, the harder we'll be to soften our hearts again. The Bible says not to trust your heart. It says it's deceitfully wicked. To let God transform your heart then you can start to be guided by your conscience. To be just led by whatever you feel would be for us to follow our sinful nature. But as our minds are renewed, we can start to depend on our conscience and follow our conscience. I say, let your mind for Christ be your guide initially. And I found that this to be true, that when we deliberately choose to do what is right in God's eyes, our hearts will eventually get there too. And we can start to trust our conscience. So the key to having a good conscience is to not look to your own desires, but to God's. If he exalts what you want to do, does it exalt yourself or does it exalt God? What does God want you to do? God wants you to live for him. To live for him means to die to yourself and your own desires. You stand to your feet this morning. So how do I know if I have a good conscience or not? Well, it's a simple prayer. The one that I ask everyone to pray. David said this in Psalm 139. It's a prayer of sincerity and devotion to the Lord. He says, search my heart, O God. Let me know if there's any way in me that is offensive to you. Test my anxious thoughts. Lead me in the way of everlasting have that prayer saying, God, let me know. Not saying I got it all figured out where the world is compromising right now, especially the church and areas, because we've lost track of the heart of God. We're the type of church that we keep that in mind. Not even just keep it in mind, it's our foundation. To be able to go to the Lord, Lord, let us know if there's something that is off. Let me know that, if, let me know, God, if I've hardened my heart. I've been a Christian long enough to know that we go through seasons and some people stay in valleys for far too long. Their heart becomes hard. And I want you to know today that if your heart has become hardened and resistant to the Holy Spirit, the promise from God is that he'll take that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He desires to give you a heart that you would feel again. To feel again, I'm not talking about like, I'm not attacking the melancholies in here. <laughs> like, to feel again isn't always outward. But it is inward. If you're real honest, you would know if you've gone hard. And it could very well have been because someone had hurt you. It could very well have been because something had happened to you. 
I'm not putting those off as possibilities. I just want you to know what God wants to do for you. He wants you to feel again. He wants you to have joy again. He wants you to have love again. You've been hurt so much by people that you've loved have hurt you. Because it's not right what happened to you. Can I take that heart of stone to give you a heart of flesh? That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. So if you're in this place today, let's just let's just bow our heads and we'll dim the lights a little bit. If you're in this place today and you're saying, Pastor Eli, I've, I've hardened my heart. And I want the Holy Spirit to soften it again. I want to say a prayer with you. Just asking the Holy Spirit to come in this place to soften your heart. You're not raising it for me. You're raising it to acknowledge your movement to the Lord today. You're saying, Lord, would you give me a soft heart again? I've hardened it. Would you just lift up your hands? Lift up your hands to the Lord today. You're saying, God, soften my heart again. Soften my heart again. Heavenly Father, you see every single hand raised in this place. Holy Spirit, do what you do. You're the great physician, our wonderful counselor, God. So we pray that you would begin to soften the hearts of your people. In our hearts right now, Holy Spirit, do what you do best. Exchange those hearts of stone for a heart of flesh. God, I pray for a courage not to violate our conscience, our godly conscience. Not one that just desires to do what we want to do, but one that desires to please you. God, help us to not relegate it to a bunch of systems and laws and Help us also not to go to the other extreme and just say that you're good with everything, Lord, but to be right where you want us to be, and that's in step with you, to walk with you. So, Lord, we thank you for every submitted heart in this place today. We yield over to you that we would begin to feel again. We need to write a song like that. I want you to write that down. We need to feel again, right? Let's just begin to pray into that. We need to feel again. We're going to write a song about that this next week. I can feel it already. Amen. Lord, I thank you for your church. If your hand's up, you can put it down. I want to take a moment now. If you're in this place and you've never given your life over to the Lord, well, what does that mean? Well, it's really a prayer of surrender to the Lord saying, God, I need you in my life. You've never given your life over to Jesus. Well, maybe you've, maybe you gave it to, over to him a long time ago when you were younger because you went to church or some Bible camp and it's been a long time since you've been either back in church or just given your life over to the Lord. I want to give you that opportunity here today. In just a moment, I'm going to ask that you lift up your hands because I want to know who I'm praying. I want to say a prayer with you today and I want to know who I'm praying with. It's just a simple sign of saying, Lord, I need you. So with every head bowed in this place, and you can feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, and you can feel it because it, 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 it kind of feels like anticipation, opportunity, but this is a great opportunity right here. If you're in this place, you're saying, Pastor Eli, that's me. I want to give my life over to the Lord. Would you lift up your hand on the count of three? One, two, three. Good. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If this message encouraged you, help us get the word out. Consider sharing it with a friend, rating, or subscribing. 
If you want to know more about our church, check out our website at mycitychurch.cc or our Instagram at mycitycentral. We look forward to sharing another encouraging word with you next week. God bless.